Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have in this country to assemble freely, to worship freely. All of these wonderful advantages we have that are a gift from you to us. And we pray, Lord, that we would not hold them lightly or take them for granted, but use them prudently to bring you glory and honor. And now, Lord, as we study your word, this bread from heaven, would you speak to us? Would you further instruct us? And as your spirit does that, help us as we open our hearts to you, to what you'd want to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. The first computer was built in 1944. It was called the ENIAC, E-N-I-A-C. It's an acronym that stands for something very long. This computer, this primitive computer, took up more space than 18 semi-truck trailers. It weighed more than 17 Chevrolet Camaros. It consumed 140,000 watts of electricity and could only perform five basic arithmetic instructions per second. If you step forward in time to the 486 microprocessor, which now is a dinosaur even, which is the size of a, of a dime on a piece of silicone chip, weighs less than a package of sweet and low, takes two watts of electricity and can perform 54 million instructions per second. We see how technology is amazingly on the increase, changing rapidly. I got a birthday card a few years ago that when you open it up, it has a little song that it plays. Ding, 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 ding. It was kind of cute. And I found out that that birthday card had more computer power in it than all of the computer power that existed on Earth prior to 1950. Just right there. So technology is advancing and improving our lifestyle and our communications. If you just think back in time the last couple thousand years from the Greek runners to the Pony Express, to the uh, wire telegraph, to the invention of the telephone, to the fax machine, to the cell phone, to the internet, we have an amazing ability to communicate with each other very rapidly and completely. Consider this. It took five months for Queen Isabella to hear that Christopher Columbus discovered America. It took two weeks for Europe to discover, to find out, that President... President Abraham Lincoln had been assassinated. Now we watch things instantaneously live on the television. The other night I was instant messaging on my computer a friend of mine from Scotland who was telling me what was going on in the neighborhood as it was happening. Instantaneous communication. Technology is improving our communication with each other it doesn't help in our communication with God. Prayer is still the fastest way to connect with heaven. You can't get Microsoft Prayer 3.0. You can't email heaven. Though some have sort of tried it. Over in Israel, there's an outfit where they say you can email a prayer. They'll print it out, fold it up, and stick it in the wailing wall, the western wall of the Temple Mount, so that you'll be represented there. But the fact of the matter is, it's the basic 
open-heartedness of a direct communication that I have with God. It's not email, it's knee-mail. It's our prayer life and relationship with God. And this prayer that we're dealing with, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. That's our template. That's our model prayer. That's how our communication heavenward is to be modeled after. Now, last week we looked at part one. This week we look at part two. In part one, we discovered it was theocentric. It had everything to do with God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. The second part of the prayer is anthropocentric. It centers on man, on us. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. You ought to know that praying for yourself uh, is not unspiritual, nor is it selfish. We're encouraged to do it. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So we're invited to here to pray for ourselves. But keep this in mind. God has the right to answer you any way He wants. You might say He has editing rights over your prayers. Uh, God will say yes sometimes. Sometimes God will say no. Hey, that's an answer. You say, God never answers my prayer. Sure He does. He may say no or wait. We don't like those answers, but they're answers. I heard about a little boy who was saying his bedtime prayers and As he was saying them, he uh, said, Lord, bless Mommy and Daddy and little Jimmy and my two cats and bless the doggy. And uh, then he cocked his head back and real loud he said, And God, give me a new bicycle. And his mom said, Son, you don't have to yell. God isn't deaf. And the little boy said, Mom, I know God isn't deaf, but Grandma's in the next room and she's hard of hearing. (laughs) Figured God will use her to get me the bike. As we continue in our prayer, and we pick it up now in verse 11, we've already started seeing that we start prayer with where God is and who God is, our Father in heaven. And then the preeminence of His name, hallowed be Your name. The prayer for His kingdom, Your kingdom come. The practice of His will, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we continue with the provision for our needs. Look at that phrase. Give us this day our daily bread. Now admit it. For an American to pray this seems a little bit out of place. When was the last time you said, God, I just pray for my next meal? You know, we're on diets. Our prayers are usually, Lord, help me not to indulge. Keep me from eating mass quantities of lunch. So what does it mean to us? Give us this day our daily bread. Well, bread is a symbol of all that you need to sustain life. All that you need to sustain and maintain your existence could be summed up in the word daily bread. By the way, three quarters of the Middle East 2,000 years ago, bread was their main staple item. So daily bread was tantamount to saying my daily meal or what I need to sustain my life this day. All right. This request shows us some very important truths. Number one, that God cares for our bodies. God cares for our physical bodies. 
that he would invite us to pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, God, God isn't preoccupied with our bodies like we are. He's not as concerned as we are. Uh, he doesn't place as much emphasis on the outward as he does the inward, but he is concerned. Look at the life of Jesus. He would often heal people of a disease, cure people of an illness or a lameness, feed the 5,000. He cares about our physical bodies. Not only does he provide for us, but have you ever stopped to think how God designed us with the capacity to enjoy what he's provided for us? He's given us things called taste buds or olfactory nerves. So we smell the bacon in the morning. We smell the hamburgers that's cooked on the grill. We put it in our mouth and we go, oh, that's so good. He built those pleasure sensations within us. You know, he could have just designed us where we have this need to consume something and it could be just kind of flat tasting mud or mush and now we're sustained, now we're... It's like filling a tank. No, he built within us pleasure sensations when we do that. Second thing it teaches us, to live one day at a time. Notice, not give us this month, our bottom line, but give us this day, our daily bread. We never outgrow the need to trust God daily. Example, manna in the wilderness. You know how God provided for them. Bread came down from heaven and they went out every morning and they picked it up. And they had to go out every morning because the Bible says if they tried to store it up and take it for a few days at a time instead of every day, that it went bad on them. It got rotten. It started stinking. Worms and bugs started infesting it. It was a daily provision. Something else, remember that God here promises and asks us to pray for daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. We're praying for our needs here, not our greeds. He promises to meet our needs, not our greeds. Now we might say here in America, Lord, you know that I really, really need a stereo, a new one, the best one that just came out. Well, it's nice if you have it, but you probably will live if you don't get it. It's not like you need it. He promises to provide our daily needs. Listen to Proverbs 30. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What he's saying is, don't give me too little, don't give me too much. You give me what you think I need, what is allotted to me. Paul wrote Timothy and he said, having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, reminds us that when we pray, God knows our needs and God has the right to say yes or no. She said, If God had answered yes to all of my prayers, I would have married the wrong man several times. Several times. Also, this prayer gives proper place to God. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, we're acknowledging God's the source, that we depend upon Him. He supports us. Man can analyze the seed 
we can look at it. We can see how it's formed, how it's made. But we can't produce a synthetic seed and have it grow. So no matter what we do, even scientifically, we recognize that God is our source. And this prayer brings that to focus. And number four, this prayer opens up our heart to the needy. Notice how it says, Our Father, not my Father, give us this day our daily bread. You see, even in the the personal pronouns and the personal adjectives that are being used, it helps us to remember that I have a relationship and a responsibility to others around me who may be in need in the body of Christ. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 10, As we have the opportunity, he writes, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, I can share my daily bread with others who don't have it as I see the need. So we have a simple, straightforward request for provision. It's not selfish to pray this way. It's not unspiritual to pray this way. And what I love about it, it's right to the point. Short, sweet, no fluff, no hoopla, no complications. Just give us this day our daily bread. Now, I wonder if a bureaucrat would have written the Lord's Prayer, what it would have sounded like. One person suggests, and I found this article, if a bureaucrat rewrote the Lord's Prayer, this little request, give us this day our daily bread, would sound something like this. We respectfully petition, request, and entreat that due and adequate provision be made this day and the date here and after subscribed for the satisfying of these petitioners' nutritional requirements and for the organizing of such methods of allocation and distribution as many as may be deemed necessary and proper to assure the reception by and for said petitioners of such quantities of baked cereal products as shall, in the judgment of the aforementioned petitioners, constitute a sufficient supply thereof. I sure like give us this day our daily bread a whole lot better. Simple prayer for simple people. Let's look at the next one. It's the pardon for our sins. Forgive us our debts. Now, you know, I'm sure, that he's speaking to... Are you speaking now, Lord? (laughs) That the Lord is speaking not about our debts with each other, but our debts before him. It's not like you can rack up a lot of debt on the credit card and just say, oh, well, forgive us our debts. The idea is that I have a debt before God because of my sin, and I'm asking God to forgive me. Why do we need to pray this? We need to pray this because we must always keep short accounts with God. We must clear the obstacles that would be between earth, us, and heaven, God. You say, no, wait a minute, Skip. I don't need to pray this. I'm a Christian already. I've been forgiven. I've been justified. That's true. If you're a Christian, you have been forgiven. All is past. But you still have a sin nature. You still blow it. You still need to confess your sins. You still need to keep short accounts with God by clearing that account. John said in 1 John chapter 1, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the idea. What I know I've done wrong to offend God today, I ask Him to forgive me. 
Here's a good example, I think. You remember when Jesus at the Last Supper began to wash his disciples' feet? He went from follower to follower, and he got to Peter. And as he started to wash Peter's feet, Peter pulled back. And he said, trying to act like Joe spiritual, No, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Thinking that Jesus would say, Oh, Peter, at least you get it. But he didn't get it. Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part with me. Then Peter swang the pendulum on the other side. And he said, well, don't just wash my feet then, but my, my head, my hands, everything. He went nuts. This is what Jesus said to him. A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean. Here's the point. You come to Jesus Christ, you're bathed, you're cleansed, you're forgiven of your sins. But we walk through this world on a daily basis. We get defiled because of it. We get dirty feet. It's not like you need to be born again, again, and again, and again, and again. I had a guy say, I've been saved four times. No, you haven't. You get saved once, but you get dirty feet. And you need to say on a daily basis, Lord, as I look back over my day, I pray that you would forgive me of my debts. I confess this sin to you. But that's only the first part. Look at the second part. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. My asking God for forgiveness is intertwined with my willingness to forgive others who've sinned against me. So we have vertical forgiveness. We have horizontal forgiveness. My vertical forgiveness, flowing down from heaven to me, must be related to my willingness, my horizontal forgiveness, me forgiving others. Now go down to verse 14. It's all part of that thought. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, now we sort of have a problem here. And here's the problem. If when I receive Jesus Christ, I'm a new creation, old things have passed away, all things become new, I'm forgiven, I'm justified, what does verse 14 and 15 mean then? This is what I think it means. Yes, we've been forgiven, but the Bible also teaches that the Lord chastens His children. Have you ever heard that term? He chastens. He spanks us. Hebrews 12, the author says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, for whom the, love Lord, uh, the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. So the Lord will sometimes spank us or chasten us. An unforgiving heart and a bitter spirit will forfeit God's blessings and invite judgment. Invite chastisement. The head of a British hospital once said something very fascinating. He said, you know, I could release half of my patients today if they knew they were forgiven. I could release half of them today if they knew they had forgiveness. Vertical forgiveness is connected to horizontal forgiveness. Here's the point. God forgives us. And one of the proofs we've been forgiven by God, one of the proofs we are God's children, is that we are willing to forgive others. Hey, you're a Christian. You love Christ. You love Him. You're committed to Him. Then how can you as a Christian 
who have been forgiven so much refuse to forgive people who've harmed you or hurt you or sinned against you? You say, well, Skip, you don't know some of the people I know. I know people who have been nasty to me, said hurtful things to me, done bad things to me, about me, around me. They're pig-headed, egg-headed. Yeah, I guess that's exactly why they need forgiveness. That's exactly why they need forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Go to the next phrase. Now Jesus deals with our protection from our enemy. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You say, why would I ever need to pray that? Does God tempt me? No, he doesn't. James said, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So why would I ever ask God not to do something that's already contrary to his will anyway? Well, let me say that I don't think Jesus is speaking technically here. This is not a theology class. He's describing how a Christian prays from his or her heart. And I think this could be adequately translated as it is some places, sometimes in other translations. Lord, don't ever let me be in a temptation that I can't resist. Don't ever let me be in a temptation I can't resist. God doesn't tempt you to do evil. Satan does. But God does allow you to go through trial. And in that trial, we become susceptible and vulnerable even to the attacks of the enemy. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able to endure. So the idea is simply, Lord, if allurements come into my path today, lead me through them. Don't let me get trapped by them. Be close to me in my weak moments. Lead me not into temptation. Do you ever pray that? And when you pray that, do you ever really mean that? You see, you can't pray that while you're running into temptation. You need to cooperate with God and run from temptation. You can't say, lead us not into temptation, men, if you're looking in the magazine rack of a store and they're not good magazines or flipping through the television and you're at a really bad scene and you're going, lead me not into temptation. Turn the channel. You can't pray that if you have alcoholic problems and you're walking into a bar, lead me not into temptation. Or if you have a gluttony problem and the doors are swinging open into the Krispy Kreme and you're just... No. You and I know our Achilles heels, our weak spots. We need to cooperate with God and sort of put feet to our prayers and go the other direction. You see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, flee idolatry. Paul says to Timothy, flee youthful lusts. James writes, flee the pursuit of gain and pursue righteousness. Best example I can think of, young Joseph, tempted by an older woman who caught him off guard, grabbed him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me, lie with me, have sexual relations with me. 
And Joseph didn't say, well, it would be impolite if I just walked away. I don't want to be a bad witness. I should say something. I'll go into the house and I'll just pray, lead us not into temptation. No, he ran. In fact, he streaked out of the house. Because the Bible says she held the cloak in his hand and he went out without anything. But you know what? Better to lose your coat than lose your reputation and character. And he ran. He was fleeing temptation. You see, a lot of people will flee temptation but leave their forwarding address, if you know what I mean. I bind you, devil, but here's my card if you need me. As somebody once said, temptations are sure to ring your doorbell, but it's your own fault if you invite them in for dinner. Walter, uh, um, not Walter Martin, Martin Luther used to say, you can't stop birds from flying around your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. So lead us not into temptation is more than just a prayer. It's a life commitment that includes your cooperation and mine. Now, look at the last part of the prayer, and we'll close with this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You notice that the prayer ends like it begins. It begins with praise, hallowed be your name. It closes with praise, praise for our Lord, emphasizing the glory of God, emphasizing the kingdom of God. Now, I'll be fair to you and tell you that some people don't believe this is in the original manuscripts. That part is not in all of the ancient Greek manuscripts. I'm not going to argue that point. I believe it is, but I'm not going to argue it. But I will say that it is fitting. It doesn't contradict any biblical doctrine. It is perfectly in accordance to biblical truth. And this is what I love about it. We begin by filtering all of our requests personally through the glory of God, the kingdom of God, the will of God. And then we close submitting ourselves to the same. So we're taught to pray, yours is the kingdom. In other words, I acknowledge that you rule over me. Does he rule over you? Does he call the shots in your life? Then yours is the power. I acknowledge you can do anything. And then finally, yours is the glory. That's our motivation. Lord, you and you alone are worthy, and I want you to receive the ultimate glory, not me. Is that your motivation? So here we have it, the disciples' prayer. It's balanced to the point. It's uncomplicated. It covers all of the bases. And you can't improve on it even with the latest technology. This is knee mail. On your knees, heart open before God. There was a fisherman who was out of fellowship with God. He went fishing with his buddies. They were not believers at all. They got into a storm, thought the boat was going to sink. And when they were in their final moments of desperation, they said to their backslidden friend, you better pray for us. And he said, pray for you? I haven't done it for 15 years. I haven't even been to church. But they impressed upon him the need to pray. And so he said, Lord, I haven't asked anything of you in 15 years. And if you help us now and bring us safety to land... I promise I won't bother you again for another 15. Listen, prayer is not an escape mechanism. It's a communication, an honest communication of opening up your heart, my heart, in a relationship to our Father. Charles Spurgeon, and I close with this, said, 
Prayer pulls the rope down below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly. Others give only an occasional jerk at the rope. But he who communicates with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all of his might. Hey, your Lord invites you. Your Lord commands you. Ask, seek, knock. When you pray, say, Our Father. There's a relationship. Do it. Do it often. Do it boldly. Let's pray together in the manner of the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, you're our Father. You didn't tell us to so personalize it as my Father, lest we exclude others who have a relationship with you. You taught us to use the corporate we and our and us. That's what you want to do, we believe, Lord, is get us out of selfish living and get us others-oriented. You're in heaven, Lord. You're from that vantage point of all power, all knowledge, all authority. So we acknowledge your place. We're on earth. You're in heaven. We also want your name to be made hollowed, holy, dignified by what we do, what we say, how we live. Hollow your name through us. Help us to think of your reputation. Lord, we want your kingdom to come. We can't wait for Jesus to show up and make everything new. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until that time, we want your kingdom to be established in our own private life, our own world. We want our lives to be a base of operations for you to work actively. And then we want your will to be done. We want your will to be done just as it is so easy in heaven We pray that it would be so easy for you to command us to do something and we do it. We know you love us, Lord, and we ask that you provide for us today exactly what you know we need, not what we think we need or what greed we might be occupied with. Give us exactly what you think we need. Forgive us, Lord. We want the decks cleared. You know what we've said. You know what we've thought. You know what we've done. We confess it to you. And as we do, we tell you that we're ready, willing, and we will forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord, because you know our weakness and you know that we're vulnerable to the enemy's attacks, lead us into a place where no matter what is going on around us, the response inside of us would not be to yield to temptation. Deliver us, Lord, from the clutches, the power, the ruinous, villainous plots of the evil one. And we declare, finally, Lord, yours and yours alone is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom we want to build. Yours and yours alone is the power. You have all power. Yours is the glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.